right, take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6, if you would, this morning. And we're going to begin a new series on spiritual warfare entitled, Winning at Spiritual Warfare. Now, I'm a guy who uh, likes to stay uh, kind of somewhat prepared, and usually I'm working on the finalization of a sermon uh, on Thursdays, and then I tweak it a little bit on Saturday morning, but I've pretty much got everything nailed on Thursday, and uh, this week uh, was got to Thursday morning, thought I was headed another direction with an entire another series uh, that I felt we were to move into, and uh, God spoke to me to take us in another direction for a season of time here at the beginning of this year, and that concerning how to remain standing in the power of Jesus Christ in this generation, in this season, in this time in which we presently live. And so we're going to spend a few weeks here in Ephesians chapter 6. Now there will be lots of other verses. You'll see that today. i got a ton of verses for us here today. But we're going to uh, discover what Paul teaches in Ephesians about the warfare that we are involved in. Now... Part of this comes out of recognizing that uh, 2021 hasn't turned out yet to be much different than 2020, has it? In fact, I saw a meme this week that said, uh, I'd like to cancel my subscription to 2021. I've experienced the seven-day free trial, and I'm not impressed. We had a good run for a couple of days, didn't we? And then reality sat in that we are in a most unprecedented time as a people within our nation, uh, as well as our world. And the reality is it's all rooted, based, and foremost conceived in the spirit realm. Everything we experience immediate here has had something motivating and releasing it in the heavenly realm, in the spirit realm. Uh, I know many of us this week uh, became discouraged uh, with just what we saw happening, you know, midweek in our, our capital, and then uh, many of us were holding out hope that there would be some change in the uh, election and all of that, and, and whatever you think about any of that as far as how we got to where we are, the reality is this is spiritual warfare. There's Battles in the heavenlies for the soul of our nation, which then affects the soul of the people within the nation. And so Satan's tactic is always to destroy and disrupt the plans of God. So I, like everybody else, was uh, discouraged and even reminding God, God, we gave you at Victory Family Church, we gave you 30 days of prayer before the election. We fasted. We had two huge prayer meetings on the National Mall. In September, you had, uh, you had the return on one end with Jonathan Kahn and the Shofar Orchestra. And then on the other end, you had uh, Franklin Graham. And you had the march through D.C. Lord, there was so much prayer. And now we are concerned, extremely concerned about where we find ourselves. And immediately the Holy Spirit dropped in my spirit. Did I, did I really think that the enemy has won anything over God? Because that's kind of how I was winding to God. It's like, God, you, you, just, you just got defeated. Now, I didn't say that. I got enough sense not to say that out loud, right? But that was the reality that God dropped in my spirit. Satan 
hasn't defeated God's purposes and plans. So my resolve, my peace came in knowing God's got something up. He's got something that he's up to. I'm not going to stay awake all night worrying about it. But I do think we prepare our hearts to remain standing as the people of God in the midst. Now, I like what our, our former district superintendent here of the Assemblies of God, uh, Pastor Rick Dubose, my pastor for a number of years as he was the leader of our district. He's now in Springfield at our national headquarters. And as he was praying Thursday, the Lord dropped a word in his heart. And, and the one thing that, that I want to share with you is he, he went to Joshua, the book of Joshua. And it's just as the, as the Israelite, as Joshua was about to lead the children of Israel into uh, the promised land, and they're going to have to fight. They're going to have to take over those ten cities. And Daniel sees a, uh, an angel, but it, it, he doesn't realize it's an angel. Before. He sees a, a warrior with a sword drawn. And he confronts him, and he says, Are you for us, the Israelites, or are you for our enemies? And the angel says this. He says, I'm, I'm for neither. But I come to you as a commander of the armies of the Lord. And what, our, what my pastor, what our leader said was that in essence what he was saying was, I, I'm not for you and I'm not for them. I'm for God and, and I see something you don't see. And Jacob or Joshua is looking at the immediate. We got to move in and take this land. Are you fighting for us or them? And what he saw was a day a day when Israel would possess that land, a day when the Messiah would come and be born in that land and would, would live and would serve and would die and be crucified and would rise from that land and would come back one day and rule and reign. So he says, I'm here to make sure that comes into being. And so I just want to encourage you this morning to, uh, to recognize that uh, whatever your discouragement may be, uh, God's got plans. And I think for us it is to trust his plans and uh, no matter what we may face in coming days, more pandemic, there's supposed to be a new strain of the virus now. Uh, whatever it is we face, we stand because we are armed and armored with Christ Jesus. And so we're going we're gonna to dive into that uh, uh, here these next few weeks. But let me, let me kind of explain uh, how you can see spiritual warfare and its effect on us here happening in the heavenlies and delivered down into where we are. So there's, there's two terms, micro and macro. Everybody say micro. Say macro. That's just fun to say. Now, I'm going to use the, the, the terminology microeconomy and macroeconomy to make this illustration because you may have heard that on the news or, or somewhere or read it in the, in the newspaper. So you hear these terms, microeconomy, macro. So here's, here's what microeconomy is. Microeconomy is what you have in your wallet right now. It affects you immediately. You can go buy a soda at Sonic at 2 o'clock for half price because you have something in your wallet. That's called microeconomy. That's the immediate, it's right down to where the rubber meets the road for you. Macroeconomy has to do with worldwide governments and economies of other nations that work together and ultimately affect what you have available in your wallet, the big picture, if you will. So we have situations in our life, in our marriage relationships, 
in our families, in our finances, uh, in, in our, our faith, in our nation, in our world. We have immediate things that we are dealing with, and we're dealing with a whole bunch of them in our hour right now. That's the micro. But there's a macro warfare that's taking place. There's a bigger picture that's moving these things here in our midst, that's influencing the things around us. That's the spirit realm. That's what the angel who came to Joshua saw, was he saw the realm of the spirit beyond just the physical battles that were going to have to be fought. And so I want to read you a quote this morning from a gentleman by the name of John Phillips. He says this, we must see beyond people. Satan may use people to persecute us, to lie to us, to cheat us, to hurt us, or even kill us. But our real enemy lurks in the shadows of the unseen world, moving people as pawns on the chessboard of time. As long as we see people as enemies and wrestle against them, we will spend our strength in vain. But we're about to read where Paul explains that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle with principalities and powers in the heavens. The problem is that most Christians have no idea of the warfare that's taking place. When the Civil War broke out in the 1800s, very early on, northerners would gather, and particularly there was an instance in, in July of 1861, and the northerners gathered because there was going to be a, a, a skirmish between uh, the army and this upstart rebellious group that would be known as the Confederates and the rebels at that time. And they knew there was going to be this skirmish. Nobody expected anything of it. The army's going to squash it. Let's go watch it. So literally people put on their Sunday best, packed picnic lunches, and went and sat on top of a hillside and ate their lunch and were about to be entertained by what was happening down in that valley. But very quickly, they were amazed and astonished and shocked to recognize this was really a war and that this wasn't going to be a, a one afternoon event. And sadly, for many Christians, they're living their lives as though there is no war, that these are just things that happen and we just have to take them as they are. But the scriptures make clear we are in a spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's go there for a moment this morning. We're going to begin reading in verse 12. And I'm going to read the whole passage to you. And then through the next weeks, we're going to break it down and come to understand it a little better. But Paul, closing out his letter to the Ephesian church, says this. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord. And by his vast strength, there's our hope right there. We stand strong in the midst of conflict on the word of God and on the presence of God. And we're going to talk next week on how to be strengthened in the Lord. Verse 11, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. 
for this reason. Take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Now, let me remind you, Paul is writing this from a Roman prison, chained to a Roman guard 24-7. And as he writes this, he's looking at the armor that this soldier has. And then he begins to make an analogy of how in the spirit world we have been armored and suited by the righteousness of Christ. So he says in verse 14, Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. So let's talk this morning about the reality of this spiritual warfare. The title this morning is The Struggle is Real, Y'all. You ever felt the struggle was real? Let me, uh, let me give you three truths out of what Paul teaches us right here that we need to recognize right up front. So we're going we're gonna to talk about the devil a little bit this morning. That's not typically our, our main topic of a message. We're going to talk about the devil, but we're going to talk about Jesus as well. But we have to know, we have to understand who our enemy is. If we're going to accept the fact that there's a spiritual warfare taking place for my soul, who is my enemy? I got to know who I'm fighting. I got to know uh, who this is. So number one, we have to understand that our enemy is real. We have a real enemy. It's not just a mythological idea. Paul says right here in verse 12, our struggle, our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood. And then he outlines this hierarchy of authority that Satan holds in the heavens. We have a real enemy. It's the spirit realm in which Satan reigns in the heavenlies. Not in heaven, but in the heavenlies. Remember I told you, I think it was last week, maybe or a couple weeks ago, that there's, there's three heavens referenced in the Bible, and, and there's the immediate, just these clouds that are hovering over us, that's level. There's an atmospheric level that uh, is where all of our you know, you got to have oxygen if you go up that high. And then there's heaven. There's the, the dwelling place, the, the vastness of God's glory. So Satan is his, his authority, this principality of power and authority. This is, this is in that, that second heavenly realm, the atmospheric realm. So in Daniel 10, when the, the angel comes to Daniel and says, Daniel, I, uh, God heard your prayer the first day you started praying and fasting, but it's taken me 21 days to get here because I've been wrestling with the prince of Persia, the authority, the ruling demonic authority over Babylon where Daniel was living and residing. And he says, I've been detained. He was sent from God in heaven, but he was detained in the atmosphere from getting to Daniel with that revelation. That's a picture of the warfare. Go read Daniel 9 and 10. It's powerful. So it's the spirit realm that he dwells. How many of you believe in angels? Okay. How many of you believe in demons? Many people don't. A lot of Christians aren't sure there's angels, but they believe more in angels than they do 
demons or a devil. Yet the scriptures, over 290 times, angels are referenced in the Bible, both Old and New Testament. Demons, devil, or Satan are referenced over 130 times in both the Old and the New Testament. And in both the Old and the New Testament, you find conflict between light and dark, heaven and hell, angels and demons, Jesus and Satan. So, my friends, the the realm is real. You see, we are confined to the five senses right here. And so we judge everything based on what we see, what we hear, what we uh, can touch, feel, what we can smell, uh, and what we can taste. We judge everything in life on those five right there. But there is a whole nother existence. There is a macro existence in the spirit realm that is the bigger picture of everything we sense or feel here. It's a very real uh, place. It is a very real atmosphere. Uh, Satan is a created being who sought a high position in heaven. He was a high created being. He was believed to be, because his voice was, he's described as his voice being uh, like music, and and so it's believed that he was a part of uh, leading uh, the glorious worship of heaven. But it says that it entered his heart that he would ascend to the place of God and that he would ascend higher than God. So Satan has always sought a place of influence. So when he thought he would become God, God, who created him, said that's not going to work, cast him down. We read in Isaiah 41 that he cast him down. Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning from heaven. And when we find Satan in Genesis 3, back in the beginning, he's, a, he's, a, he's visualized as a serpent who's crawling on his belly. This one who, who aspired to the heights of all of glory is now crawling on his belly. That's the curse. That's who he is. That's the lowness of who he is. But he is a created being by God who seeks to influence still today. So he sought to influence God's people, Adam and Eve. He has sought to influence you. He has sought to influence men and women, boys and girls, throughout time from the beginning. To influence them for his purposes. Remember, he wanted to be God. He still wants to be God. Since he can't be God of heaven, he wants to be God of man. And so he seeks to bring that influence. How real is the devil? Jesus had conversations with him. I believe in Jesus. I'm pro-Jesus. And Jesus had conversations with him. If Jesus conversed with him, I believe he was real. Jesus had confrontations with Satan. I believe he's real. Now, I also believe that Jesus conquered Satan. Do you notice what Paul said when we read it? There are four times in those verses that we just read. Paul uses the word stand. That's all we do. We stand in this warfare. We're not called to defeat Satan. He's already been defeated. We're called to stand. In other words, guard, protect, defend, And keep hold of everything Jesus, the Messiah, the risen Lord and Savior has given to you. Protect the 
faith he's given you. Protect the truth he's given you. Stand in the joy that he's given you. Stand holding steadfast in the peace no matter what's happening, no matter what the last phone call to you was. You stand in what Jesus has given you because he has conquered Satan. So the reality is that we have a very real enemy. The second thing is your enemy is very strategic. Okay? We... Uh, we like to, to joke about how dumb he is, thinking he could crucify the Messiah and all that, but he, he's got very strategic plans. And so I want us to look for just a moment at what that looks like. So Paul says in verse 11, he says, Put on the armor that you may stand against the devil's schemes. Some of your translations say the devil's plans or his tactics. So let me just give you a little scripture survey here for just a moment. And this is not exhaustive. This is just a sampling of what we know the activity of Satan is as he seeks to influence our hearts and our minds away from God. First, we know he's a great deceiver. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 14, he masquerades as an angel of light. In other words, he appears all good, but from within, everything is a deception. If you could pull back the veil of Satan's heart, you would find, you would find the, the darkness. You would find the evil. Uh, he's a master deceiver. When the Antichrist comes, who will be the embodiment of the fullness of the evil of Satan, who will prepare the way for Satan to do his destructive work during the tribulation, the Antichrist comes as a man of peace. When the rapture happens and millions of people vacate the earth immediately, there's all kind of chaos and turmoil going on. The Antichrist comes and brings peace. He's got a plan to bring peace to the earth. And because he does, his plan is so great, people are looking for a leader. They say, dude, you're it. It was your plan. Let's follow what you got for us. And he even makes peace with Israel and then halfway through, the seven-year tribulation, it is revealed what his true nature is. When he drops the angel of light, masquerade, and reveals the darkness of his purposes and his intent and plans for the earth. He's deceptive and cunning. We, uh, we often fall prey to his deception without, without even recognizing it. Um, Alicia asked me this week, she, she said, how, if, if there was fraud in the election, how does somebody find contentment in knowing they won by cheating? You know, it all has to do with deception. Deceived by power. Deceived by the hunger and the lust for power. But it doesn't matter what it takes, it just, as long as it happens. Deception. The enemy deceives us. We, even as believers, Jesus said that uh, the deceptive power of Satan would be so strong in the end time that he said even the elect, if it is possible, could be deceived. Jesus referred to him as the father of lies. Another thing that he does to influence us is he brings discouragement. In Revelation 10, he's seen at the throne of God, and he is, he is titled as the accuser of the brethren who stands before the Lord accusing the church, accusing you before the Father, trying to convince that you're not worthy of 
the salvation. You're, you're, uh, you're not saved. You're, 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 you're not worthy of anything. And, and he plants those seeds in your mind and begins to convince you that God couldn't love you. God couldn't save you. God couldn't change you. You're too far gone. He brings discouragement. He wants to rob the dream and the vision and the giftedness and the anointing that Jesus has brought into your life. So he, he discourages you. He deceives you into thinking something about who you are in Christ that, that's really not true. And then he discourages you that you're just not it. You're not capable. You're not worthy. God doesn't love you. God can't love you. If you ever have those moments and seasons of discouragement, you're dealing with warfare. Satan is trying to take from you what Jesus has given you, the truth that he's given to you, the joy that he's given you, the abundance of life he's given you. He's trying to take that from you, and it begins right here. So Paul talks about strongholds. He said we, we, uh, we demolish strongholds by taking captive every thought. What that tells us is the strongholds we live under, when we live under despair, when we live under fear, when we live under uh, Certain bondages, addictions, and things, they begin right here. The stronghold is here. The thought patterns have to be changed. So then Paul writes in Romans 12, and he says, look, you want to be transformed? You want to be broken free? Change the way you think. Renew your mind. Be transformed by renewing your mind. So Satan deceives. He discourages. He brings division. Where there is contention and strife, there is every form of, of evil and division. He dominates and controls. He is very manipulative. We see it from Genesis 3 when he twists the truth of God's word before Eve. When he uh, twists the word of God as Jesus is confronted by him in the wilderness in his 40 days of fasting and praying. He dominates, he manipulates, he controls. Where you find a controlling spirit, you find the activity of Satan at work. Now, I'm not saying a person is demon-possessed because they're a controlling personality, but what I am saying is a controlling personality is often easily seized by Satan for his purposes. I'm not saying you're possessed or a person is possessed, but I am saying they're doing the work of, of your enemy and they don't even know it because of the deception and the masquerading of light that he brings. He controls people. He controls circumstances to get his way. And then another one we see that we're familiar with is he is a destroyer. John 10, 10, Jesus says the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That word destroy means to prolong punishment or to ruin. He wants to ruin anything that Jesus has placed within you. He wants to ruin the joy, the peace, and, and so on. So we have a real enemy. Our enemy has a strategy. And thirdly, we must recognize our enemy is powerful. He's powerful. We know he's defeated. But he hasn't gone down without a fight. And he possesses a certain power to rule and reign the hearts of men. His authority is 
over the entire kingdom of that spirit realm. Verse 12, we, we read it. Paul says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers, against authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. He's demonstrated his power by swaying the hearts of kings and thus controlling nations for all of time. There's some verses that speak to us about the, the undeniable power that Satan does possess. In Ephesians 2, Paul writing says, In which we previously lived according to the ways of this world. Before we came to know Christ, we were living in the ways of the world. And we were living, watch this, according to the ruler of the power of the air. The spirit now working in the disobedience. So, so watch this. He says, we were living unsaved lives. We were living according to the ruler. That expresses a sense of authority and power that Satan has. Where? In the power of the air. Where is the air? The air is the atmospheric part of creation. And where does Paul say we wrestle? Principalities, powers, rulers, and authorities. Where? In the heavenlies. Satan is the prince. He is the ruler of that domain. Is he the ruler of heaven? Absolutely not. He tried that. It didn't go well. But he is the ruler of the air. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded and be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. He's prowling around to look for one he can devour. Devour is a powerful, descriptive word. It's the idea of, of ultimate, utter destruction. He says to be alert. That's what this series is about. To make us aware and to make us alert. 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world, watch this, is under the control of the evil one. Who is the evil one? Satan. Our very real and strategic enemy is controlling the world. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 says, The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders. Now, that goes back to the, it's talking about Antichrist in the, in the end times and in the tribulation time. The lawless one is the Antichrist. Where's he, who's he working for? He's working for Satan. What authority and power does he have? Satan's power and authority. And with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders. Satan has the, the power to, to uh, mimic miracles. What did the, uh, the, the sages and the magicians of Pharaoh's day, when, when Moses went to them and he, to prove the authority which with he came, God gave him a, a rod of authority and he threw the the rod down on the ground, it turned into a snake. The magicians, they did the exact same. They mimicked the same miracle. There was one they couldn't mimic, and that was the Passover angel. 
But the coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders. So when Antichrist comes, not only will he be a man of peace, but he is also going to manifest miracles. That's another thing that captures people's attention and draws them to follow him so willingly during that period of time. Because he must be the Messiah. He must have been sent from a higher power because of this. And remember, he's masking a ram as an angel. He's masquerading as an angel of what? Of light. And yet he's full of deception, set to, to destroy. One of, one of the names given to him in the book of Revelation, uh, not the Antichrist, but to, to, to Satan, is, is uh, Apollon. Apollyon, I think I'm going to pronounce it, Apollyon, which means destroyer. And when you read the seven seals and the seven judgments in the book of Revelation, it's all destruction. But it begins with deception. Paul says, church, be alert. So we can't dismiss the power of Satan. All who have ever dismissed the power of Satan have some, in some form or fashion, fallen. Now, let me, let me make sure you understand this. Satan is not as powerful as God, and he is not the, the opposite of God. Some would say, well, let me explain Satan. Okay, so, so Satan is the, the opposite of God. No, he, he can't be the opposite of God because he's created by God. So if he's going to be the opposite, he's also got to be a creator, but he's not. So he's not as powerful as God. God won that battle when he cast him down to the earth. And he's not the opposite of God. He is a created being. When we talk about the power that Satan has from the heaven realm, do you realize his only authority, his only power is what creation gives him? What the created ones give him. The only way he won anything in the garden was Adam and Eve were willing to give up obedience to God to gain wisdom that they didn't have yet. What did he seek to do with Jesus? Influence Jesus to exalt himself before the time and to put his trust in, in him. But Jesus refused to give him that authority, refused to give him that place in his life. So when we talk about Paul telling us, look, we stand in the midst of the battle that rages. When we talk about standing in the middle of that, we're, we're talking about exactly what Paul is, is giving us here today. And that is we're standing in what Jesus has for us. And he can't take that from us unless we surrender it to him. And what Paul's saying is, look, know this, you are armored well with Jesus Christ. You don't need to surrender anything to Satan. You've surrendered it all to Christ. Stand. Don't be moved. Stand, what did we say last week, as the head and not the tail. Continue to stand above and not beneath. So Satan will only work and operate 
with what is given to him. In Ephesians 4.27, Paul says also, do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, do not give him entertainment of his deceptive thoughts and his destructive thoughts. Don't give him an opportunity to turn your heart or your attitude from God. Don't open a door. Don't linger. Don't stay there. Take thoughts captive, Paul would tell us. But Satan will capitalize on every opportunity we give him. When we open the door to fear, he'll capitalize. When Job, at one point, we, we know the story of Job, right, man? I mean, he just like, whew. his life was like 2020 for 40-something years and worse. And as he reflects back on it, you remember how Satan approached God and said, hey, uh, the only reason Job worships you is because you've blessed him so well. I bet if you take everything away from him, he won't worship you. God knew he would. God gave Joe, uh, uh, Satan permission, but he gave him limitations, which had to be respected by Satan. And he took his wealth, and he took the lives of his family. And Job says this. He says, that which I feared has come upon me. You know what the open door for Satan's working in Job's life was? He opened a door of fear. You know what he did? He worried so much about his kids that it says his kids were known to be partiers. And he would go out and offer sacrifices on their behalf just praying that the mercy of God would rest on them because he worried about them, that he would even take it upon himself to deal with their wickedness. But he says, that which I feared. What did he fear? Losing his family. What did he fear? Losing the, the wealth and the riches and the blessings of God. That fear opened a door. So any door we open, if we get angry about what's happening in politics right now, we've opened a door. We've opened a door. And man, it, it's just a little scary. Because Christians are getting kind of nasty sometimes. The anger that we've opened a door to. And Paul says, look, be alert because you're opening a, a foothold. Don't open a foothold of fear. Don't open a foothold of anger. Don't open a foothold of, of pride. Don't open a foothold of greed. The moment you open a door to anything of your flesh nature, you're giving Satan an opportunity to monopolize that part of you and to take you deeper into its controlling influence. Remember, he wants to influence. And if we open the door, he's going to seize that opportunity. Your enemy is real, he's strategic, and he's powerful, but I can't close with just all the stuff the devil is. Anybody say amen? We have a savior. We have a king of kings and a lord of lords. So let me just remind you of Satan's of, of Jesus' power over any of the power that Satan possesses. 1 John 3 verse 8 says this, The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God, however, was revealed for this purpose. Say it with me. To destroy the devil's works. Can anybody say hallelujah? 
Hebrews 2.14 says, Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death. Who is that? That is the devil. That he might destroy the power of death. Does that light anybody's wood on fire this morning? Three of you? Okay. It's snowing. It's, it's going to dampen the wood a little bit. I got you. Okay. Let's see if this one helps you out. Colossians 2 verse 15 says, He disarmed the rulers and the authorities in that heavenly realm where Satan is the prince of the air. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he disgraced them publicly. When he rose from the dead, he declared your plan, your schemes, your tactics, and the limitations of your power could not hold me down. He triumphed over them on the cross. The word, uh, tri- the word um, triumphed means to spoil. He took the spoils, but I kind of put it in my notes here. He spoiled their party. That's what he did. There was rejoicing in the heavenlies when the Messiah was crucified. But on the third day, the party came to an abrupt end. Revelation chapter 1, Jesus says, When I saw him, John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Keys represent authority. And Jesus says, I have stripped the authority that Satan has had over death and the grave. In other words, the curse of death, of sin, has been stripped from him. 1 John 4, verse 4 then. Let's bring it down to our little micro existence today. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Can somebody give an amen? 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to read that one out loud with me. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Revelation 20. Right near the end of it all, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Our enemy is real, our enemy is strategic and our enemy is powerful. But our Lord, our Messiah, is King of kings and is Lord of lords. He is almighty God. He is the God of heavens and the earth. He is the God who watches over his. He is the God who equips those who are his. He is the God who has already won the battles. And he is the God who keeps us standing in the midst of the warfare. He is the God who we must look to and we must trust. In this coming days, in this coming year in our lives. Remain standing. Remain standing, Paul says. And he says, when you've done everything to stand, keep standing. Keep standing. Whatever 
circumstances of life are for you. Your faith in Christ Jesus and his infilling of his Holy Spirit when you were born again brings the provision of the belt of truth and this helmet of salvation. And, and we're going to talk about how those are actually more than just a visual image, but, but what it means to, to have the belt of truth, what it means to have your head, your mind guarded in salvation. We'll, we'll talk about all of those things, but you stand in Christ. And I would say this morning to anyone here, anyone watching online, that if you have not been born again by the Spirit of Christ Jesus, by confessing Him as Lord and, and repenting of your sin and calling on Him to be Lord of your life, then there's, 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 there's only one controlling influence then in our lives. Paul said it earlier in Ephesians 4 that we were all controlled by worldliness, by Satan, and his influence to lead us to rebellion and disobedience against God. And the only hope then we have is to call on Jesus, our Messiah. And I would encourage you this morning to, to humble yourself, lay down pride, don't let the enemy discourage you. Don't let Satan put lies in your mind that you're unsavable and you're unforgivable. For there is no one who cannot be saved by calling on the name of Jesus. For Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For others of us this morning, we are born again and we, 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 are, we are living with our faith in Christ and we're being filled and renewed by His Spirit on a daily basis, but we... We, uh, we find ourselves in circumstances often that don't make sense, that uh, uh, seem overwhelming to us. We wonder, can we stand in this? Can we, can we endure what's happening in our marriage? Can we, can we endure what's, what's happening in our soul? And in so many different facets, we come under attack by a true, real enemy who wants to influence our lives away from blessings and the abundance of life Jesus has given us and Paul says we can stand and my hope and trust is that we are learning in these coming weeks how to stand and we will stand no matter what 2021 brings down the road we will remain standing amen